to the Sojourn Church podcast. We are glad you are here, and thanks for listening. As a church, we exist to exalt and enjoy the supremacy of Jesus Christ in all things, equip the saints, and extend the gospel to all people by reproducing disciples and churches for the glory of God. More information about the life and mission of Sojourn Church can be found at SojournTulsa.org. That's S-O-J-O-U-R-N Tulsa.org. We're going to be in Ephesians 6, 15. One verse for today. So a really, length, really lengthy passage. Is that, is that loud enough? You guys good? This thing was a little off earlier. Okay, good. Um, so we'll be in Ephesians six fifteen. Um, this this is a bit of a ending of the Advent series, uh, kind of summarizing type sermon in a way, uh, or maybe like next step and and that. And then also it's a nice kind of end of the year uh, topic uh, readiness. And so. Um, uh, yeah, so I think I think this will be. Uh, I was as I was thinking through a couple of months ago about what I could preach on. Um, this one seemed to to be a good end of the year um, topic. So, uh, or if you'll if you'll go to Ephesians six uh, fifteen, I'm going to pray and then we'll read read that scripture. Um, I'm going to read a little bit of the context too, right around it. But let's uh, let's pray first. Lord, as we come together. God, as we uh, look at your word, um, first of all, Lord, we want to worship you. We want you to be glorified in what we do, what I say, uh, what we hear, what we think, how we respond to your word. Uh, Lord, I pray that for each soul here that we would come away um, with growth and uh, conviction, encouragement. Um, Lord, whatever you would have for us, would you send your Holy Spirit to to guide us in this, um, Lord, I pray, um, just as we as we look at this, that you would make us ready. Um, we pray this in Christ's name, Amen. So the the passage I'm going to read right around that. It's if if you haven't figured it out from from the verse here, it is the armor of God. So we're going to look at verse 10 through uh, 20, and then we're just going to focus mostly on verse 15 the whole time. So verse 10, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and, and this is our verse today, as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. And that's Paul speaking there. So as you're looking at this, I put a, just a very, this is, this is literally all of the outline. I have all the slides, so um, you, you can write these down if you want. But this is a summary of this, this um, kind of a passage breakdown of this, of this verse. So just first of all, if you're thinking about this, uh, you know, a lot of times you've gone over the, the, these, um, the armor of God with your kids, maybe, or in, in Sunday school, and a lot of them are real easy. It's like the sword of the Spirit, and you get to the, 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 the shoes, and it's like, it's kind of almost a tongue twister. You know, shoes uh, for your feet, having put on the readiness of the gospel of peace. It's like, what, what are the shoes exactly? Um, the shoes are actually readiness. 
So in this, if you're thinking through it, the shoes are the shoes is our readiness. And what gives us the readiness is the gospel, the good news of Jesus that gives us peace inside our hearts. That is what gives us this readiness. And we put on on the readiness. So that's that's really the breakdown of that. So if you're looking for a three-point summary, there it is. Uh, but first of all, as you think about this verse, most people, when they look at it, the first thing they think of is this verse is telling us to go spread the gospel, um, go out and share the good news. And I don't really believe that's Paul's primary intention for this verse, although it is part of what he's uh teaching in this and, and, and exhorting or imploring you to do is to preach the gospel. And you can see that at the end of the section, he says, pray for me that I may go boldly proclaim God's message. So we know it kind of ends in prayer and evangelism. But his main point in this section is that you'll be ready. Um, and the thing that we're going to be ready for, that he's that this the, the Holy Spirit can equip us to be ready for, is what whatever spiritual battles are ahead of us. And so we don't always know what those are, but we know that having the gospel um, in our possession and by putting it on, that can make us battle ready. Um, so he's not primarily talking about evangelism, but if you deal with what Paul's trying to deal with here, it will also include evangelism. So as you're thinking about this, um, don't think that evangelism isn't in the picture of this, but it's not his main point. And we'll, and we'll be talking a little bit more about all that, but um, and, and I would say, you know, as a smaller church, as a church that's, you know, wanting to be growing both in depth in our, our, our own souls and, and community and, and also in numbers, uh, we want to see more people converted. Um, evangelism may be something that we should all really focus on to in this. So what is the readiness that the gospel of peace gives? Um, ready for what? Uh, what is the context of this passage? It's war. Is what he's talking about, spiritual warfare. Um, the unseen warfare. So being ready to stand and fight on the evil day. Um, if you look at verse 13, um, he says, Therefore take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm. So that evil day, being ready for the slow, easy vacation days, when idle hands become the devil's work, and you're don't know what you're aimless through those days and you're tempted in various ways, being ready for those days as well as being ready for your darkest doom um, and your, your worst fear coming real. Um, if you have the gospel, if you have the good news of Jesus and that's saved you from your sins, you know that no matter what kind of day you face, you're going to be equipped with what you need. Um, so it's, it's a readiness for all things. Um, and it's particularly the good news of the gospel that makes us ready for everything. So who is Paul primarily talking to in this passage? Would it be unbelievers or believers? It's, he's primarily aiming this at exhorting the church of Ephesus. It's at believers. Um, he's saying, put on these shoes. Um, only those who have been uh, made right with God, reconciled with him, forgiven, um, have these shoes to put on, this peace that... Uh, to put on. The unsaved, unreconciled, unjustified, unregenerated are unready. You don't have th these shoes in your possession. Um, Romans 3.15 is a really, uh, if you want to turn there, I'm not going to put it on the board, but Romans 3.15 says um, a few things. I'm going to turn there real quick, give you time to go there if you'd like, but it's an interesting parallel verse, and if you don't remember Romans 3, it's a lot about man's sinfulness, how sinful we are. So look at Romans 3.15. It says, their feet are swift to shed blood in their path. So their feet are swift to shed blood. It's talking about unbelievers. Uh, particularly, it's talking about the depravity of man and how wicked um, people can become. And, you know, thankfully, in our culture, with, with lots of laws and, and even like parents, that taught us good and evil. A lot of us have never, even before we were saved, were never as bad as we could be, could have been. We've all been sinners, but there's been a restraint. But look at 15. Their feet are swift to shed blood, and their paths are ruin and misery, and the way of peace they have not known. They haven't had this peace with God, so they're not ready. Instead, they're ready for shedding blood. In the verse 18, it says, There is no fear of God before their eyes. So that's a look at 
the, the, those who this verse is not particularly speaking to. This is primarily speaking to us as, as the church. Um, and I want to go through several examples of people in the scriptures, but also in church history, who have been ready and, and showed kind of battle readiness and examples of that. Also, some that weren't ready and showed examples of that, and some that moved from unreadiness to readiness. And so we'll look at some of those together. And I just would ask you, like, as you're thinking about these examples, consider if any of these things kind of hit you, and you're like, man, that's, that's kind of weighing on my heart right now for year 2024 or whatever. Um, internalize that. Maybe jot it down as something to focus on. And sometimes even as you're listening to preaching, some random thing will come into your head, and you're like, you just dismiss it. But be open to those things. Um, listening to the Holy Spirit on what, what he may be speaking to you. Um, one example of not being ready, this church of Ephesus. So he's writing to the Ephesians here. If you fast forward to Revelation, um, and uh, I, I'm sorry I didn't actually put the, okay, so it's Revelation 2. There it is. Revelation 2, 2 through 7. If you want to flip there or turn or go there in your devices. Revelation 2, 2 through 7. I'm going to read that real quick. It says, I know your works. So he's speaking to the Ephesians church. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and have found them false. So they're you know, good at discerning, right? Verse 3, I know you're enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, and this is Jesus talking to them, to this church. I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, listen to this, if not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. And, and th- as you read that word lampstand, it doesn't mean he's going to take away their salvation. You know, I don't, we don't hold to that. Once we've been saved, we're secure. But the lampstand is your light. So if you've abandoned that first love, no wonder your ministry is not moving. It's not thriving. It's not growing. So God will remove the lampstand from that church if they've abandoned him. So what does he say to do? Yet, yet this I have, yet this you have, verse 6, you hate the work of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So they were working, they were toiling, they were enduring, they were sifting out false teachers. They were doctrinally sound, they were checking all the boxes. Um, but they had abandoned their first love, which was Christ. And what he had saved them from, what he had saved them for and to, the, the love they had felt by having their sins forgiven. Um, and so then he says to do the works that you did at the first. Do those things that you did when you first fell in love. And you might even think about your marriage and how you acted when you first fell in love and how maybe time goes on and maybe you don't do those things you used to do. So what were the Ephesians' works that they once did Uh, We don't know, but probably sharing the gospel, probably joy and service. And so consider uh, the Ephesians church. If you think about Jonah, uh, we know Jonah, um, you know, God told him, go speak to Nineveh, an evil, wicked place, and tell them I'm going to destroy them if they don't repent. And so Jonah readily and willingly went straight there and obeyed, right? No, he went the other way. Uh, and if you, you know, he was someone who God had shown grace to and should have been, man, God showed me this grace. I should easily go talk to this uh, other people that God is you know, wanting to show the grace of like, hey, repent. Instead, he ran from God. He wasn't ready. Um, so we should be ready to give the gospel to those who, uh, who are wicked as we have been. Jonah wasn't fitted with the readiness of the gospel, so he ran the other way. He abandoned the fight. Uh, Matthew 26, I'm going to read this section, 26, 36 through 46. It talks about the disciples and how they were not ready uh, at this time with the shoes of battle readiness. Matthew 26, 36. 
It's Jesus in the garden. I, I think that probably every time I preach, I bring up Jesus in the garden for some reason. So there you go. Matthew 26, uh, it says, 36 says, Then Jesus went with them, the disciples, to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful. Jesus was sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them eagerly praying and waiting and watching, right? <laughs> and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, and this is Jesus saying this to Peter, you know, the most gracious person we've ever been, you know, we've ever known or will ever know. Jesus said to Peter, "So could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak." He knows their weakness. And again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, "My Father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done." And he came again and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Then he came to the disciples, and he said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. Um, see the hours at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hand of sinners. Rise, let us be going. Basically, I'm, I'm going to my death now. Um, and so there's an example of the disciples in, in a moment when they should have been more attentive and more ready. Um having Jesus in the flesh with them. Many who have claimed to be Jesus' followers are not fitted with true gospel readiness. Look at Luke 9, Luke 9, 57 through 62. These are other people who wanted to follow Jesus. So 57 says, As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. I will follow you wherever you go. 58, And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. So that's where I'm going. You want to go nowhere with me, basically, is his answer. Right? To another, he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me say farewell to, the, to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Luke 9. Um, look at Solomon in 1 Kings chapter 3. Uh, 1 Kings chapter 3 verse 5. This is Solomon a little ways into being a king. He had not, not his first... Um, uh, issue that he had dealt with. He'd been through some stuff already, but it's pretty young in his kingship. You know, he saw him as David's son. And um, listen to this interaction between Solomon and God. First um, Kings 3, 15 through four, or 5 through 14 says, At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask what I shall give you. And, so, and there's, you know, think about what you would ask for. And Solomon said, You have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart toward you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love and have given him a son to sit on his throne this day. Talking about himself, right? And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of David, my father. Although, and listen to this, although I am but a little child. So he calls himself a little child, grown man, already king. I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Give, so here's his request. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil, for who is able to govern this, your great people? It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. And God said to him, 
because you have asked this, you and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right. Behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind so that none like you has been before you and none like you shall arise after you. I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. And if you walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments, as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. So Solomon's question, or Solomon's uh, request is, you know, I'm, I'm a kid. Help me to have wisdom to lead this people. I'm not cut out to do what you've called me to do. So I would ask you, in what role of your life do you need to be ready? And what role do you, in your life do you need to tell God, I'm like a kid in this? Um, parenting. <laughs> you know, we have some parents in here. Um, elders of our church. Um, business people. Um, whatever level of work you do, whatever role you're in, wherever you're at in your schooling, education, uh, wherever that is, is your attitude, I've arrived, I'm there, I'm good to go, or kind of just like you're coasting, or maybe it's your marriage, um, husband, wife, wherever you're at, like, do you feel like I'm just kind of like there, or are you asking God, telling him, I'm like a kid in this, God, I can't, um, I can't do what I need to do, and, and so help me to start doing, you know, what I, give me what I need, God, in this moment. Um, so whatever your role is, tell God you're a child at it and, and, and you need his help. That's a good place to start, back at the start, to be willing for new growth. So um, that's the true heart of a, of a leader is that humility. Um, readiness provided by the gospel, you know, this gospel that has saved us from our sins and reconciled us. It has been shown throughout the Bible and in church history. There's this guy... I'm not sure exactly how you pronounce his name, but it's Nicomachus or Nichomachus. Um, and, and he, he was, it was, you know, hundreds, uh, I think it was like in the first few centuries. Um, but I'm going to read to you a quote from uh, Fox's Book of Martyrs. You can see where this is going. Uh, but this is a quote from there, and uh, it's just, I want you to just think about readiness and unreadiness in these, this uh, event that happened. Nicomachus, being brought before the proconsul as a Christian, was ordered, so they told him to sacrifice to the pagan idols. Nicomachus replied, I cannot pay that respect to devils, which is only due to the Almighty, so he wouldn't, he wouldn't sacrifice to these idols. This speech so much enraged the proconsul that Nicomachus was put to the rack, which what that is is basically, if you've seen Braveheart where they stretch him, uh, basically, they stretched him with ropes um, until m the majority of his bones had broken. Um, and then he fell to the ground. Um, after enduring these torments for a time, he recanted. Um, basically, he said, I, I, I do give up. I surrender. And he no longer um, was ho holding it to his faith. He recanted. But scarcely had he given this proof of his frailty. Then he fell into the greatest agonies, dropped down on the ground, and expired immediately. Died as soon as he hit the ground, basically. Denisa, remember Denisa, a young woman of only 16 years of age, 16-year-old girl named Denisa, who beheld this terrible judgment, suddenly exclaimed, Oh, unhappy wretch, why would you buy a moment's ease at the expense of a miserable eternity? Optimus, hearing this, called to her, <clears throat> and Denisa, avowing herself to be a Christian, was beheaded by his order soon after. This readiness of this 16-year-old girl, um, who didn't have to say anything in that moment, uh, was, willing, was willing to proclaim Christ in, in that moment. Um, our, our greatest example of having gospel readiness is, of, cor is of course, Jesus, right? Uh, he's the source of the gospel, the good news. He is the fullness of the gospel, the peace. He's the Prince of Peace. Jesus was always willing and ready to wear these shoes. He was ready to teach in the synagogue when he was a kid. Uh, he was ready um, for prayer. 
Um, he was ready to flip over the tables in the temple. He was always ready. He was ready when he was led into temptation in the garden. Um, ready for prayer all night. And you know, readiness is not always just busyness and activity, right? Um, Jesus would spend um, agonizing prayer all night long, uh, especially on the, on the day before his death. Um, and I'll say this, he went more readily and more willingly into the cross and to, and to death for your sins than any of us ever have into any ministry or any sort of like endeavor we've ever undertaken. Um, he was always willing to do the hard thing to establish the gospel of peace. Um, Paul, Paul was not perfect, um, but he was such an example of, of readiness and, and just um, an exemplary person for us to follow. Even sometimes in his ministry he said, hey, imitate me in this. Um, as Paul told Timothy in, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, he said this. He said, be ready to Timothy. Now, Timothy was a young pastor. He said, be ready in season and out of season. Be ready to preach when it comes easily, right? Be ready to, to when people want to hear, when it's in season. Um, and be ready when circumstances make it feel impossible to, to tell others. Even when no one cares to listen, be ready. Preach the word. Um, don't be alarmed by changing circumstances, um, pandemics, things like that. Uh, be ready to preach the word. Be ready to correct others. Be ready to reprove others, Timothy. Even be ready to rebuke others at times when, when it's needed. This is what his words were to T Timothy. Um, Paul was eager to see the Romans uh, in Romans chapter 1. Um, he talks about that. But he, 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 in 15, uh, verse 20, Romans 15, verse 20, he was, uh, it says he was ambitious to get the gospel to places it had never been. So he was wanting to go to Rome. He, he wrote to him, I'm wanting, to, I'm wanting to go see you. And then I want to go even farther than that, all the way to Spain. Um, and he was willing to endure shipwreck, prison, uh, all these things that, that couldn't stop him from continuing to press on and press forward to, to see you know, his true desire was that God would be glorified. You guys have probably heard the, the missions quote by Piper, missions exist um, uh, because worship doesn't, right? And that was Paul's aim, was that he wanted to see other people worship God. He wanted to, others to enjoy what he was enjoying. Um, and another quote from Paul was in uh, Acts 21, 13. It's a quick one. Uh, he, he said to these these people, these Christians he was with, who were kind of trying to keep him from going uh, into the certain area. He said, what are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I'm not only ready to be in prison, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, they couldn't persuade him, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. Um, think about Abraham on the day when God says, go and sacrifice your only son, the, the son I gave you, go sacrifice him, and how much peace in his, his heart he had to have had to go up and do that most awful thing that he, he, just, he didn't understand, but he just trusted. Um, and God proved faithful to deliver him from that. And he knew, he trusted that God was going to either raise his son from the dead or, or something. Um, and he did. God proved faithful to him. Titus 3.1 says we should be ready for every good work. How ready was David before he fought Goliath? Um, they brought him all this armor and he put it on. It was like heavy and clunky. Um, and he said, no, I, I'm, I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to go in the clothes God's given me, which is just basically battle readiness and his normal clothes and a sling. Um, if you heard of John Rogers, he was a martyr in 1555. Um, the Catholic Church burned him for opposing their teaching uh, and for his unyielding faith in the truth of the Bible. John Rogers, this is from Banner of Truth. It's an awesome website, but I'm going to read this quote from there. Rogers was made a prisoner, first at home and then in the jail at Newgate in England in January of 1553. His wife was not allowed to visit him at all, and apparently he suffered severe treatment from the jailers. 
Rogers was pressured to compromise and renounce the Protestant faith, but he affirmed that he would not. His death was soon to follow, and it happened in this way. When the time came for his execution, he was brought by the sheriffs of Newgate to Smithfield, where the following conversation took place. One of the officers asked Rogers if he would revoke his abominable doctrine and his evil opinion of the sacrifice of the Mass. That which I have preached, I will seal with my own blood, Rogers replied. Then said Clergy Woodruff, thou art a heretic. That shall be known, said Rogers, at the day of judgment. Rogers was then brought to the stake, quoting a psalm as he came, with the people who witnessed his testimony, wonderfully rejoicing at his constant firmness in the face of the fire. Listen to this. His wife and 11 children met him on the road as he went to the stake the youngest of the children being a nursing infant in his mother's arms. When he was attached to the post, the fire was put under him, and when it had taken hold of his legs and his shoulders, he, as if feeling no pain, washed his hands in the flame as though it were cold water, so says recorded history. After lifting up his hands to heaven, not removing them from the fire until the flames had devoured them, Mildly and firmly, this happy martyr yielded up his spirit into the hands of his heavenly father. Even a few moments before his death, a written pardon was brought to him if he would recant, but he refused. John Rogers was the first of the English martyrs who died under the reign of Bloody Mary. J.C. Rowell says that before Rogers' death, there was no example of a Protestant of the Church of England Enduring death rather than recanting his convictions, Rogers was the first in England to break the ice for the gospel and prove that the grace of God was sufficient to sustain a believer even in the fire. On the day Rogers was burned, Noelis, the French ambassador to England, wrote to Montmorency these words, This day was performed the public and solemn sacrifice of a preaching doctor named Rogers, who has been burned alive because he persisted in his opinions as he was conducted to his death, the greatest part of the people were not afraid to make him many exclamations to strengthen his courage, even his children assisting him, comforting him in such a manner that it seemed as if Rogers was being led to a wedding. Guys, we have so much, so many examples in church history of readiness and in the scriptures in season and out of season, we could spend all day just listing more scriptures and things. Um, and just just know, you know, there's nothing in your life that can make you ready and give you the strength and rest and willingness and resolution, New Year's resolution, whatever it might be, like the gospel does. Vacations are too short. The weekend is a vapor. Sex is not enough. The dollars get smaller the more you get. If you get all that stuff but do not love God and have God's wrath on your shoulders and sin controlling you, then you're just going to continue to be miserable um, without knowing the way of peace. So if you feel like that's you and things have never really been cleared up between you and God, then I would tell you that you need help. Uh, So start there and turn to him for, for the fix. But if you're hearing this and you have walked with God for some time, forgiven, the gospel came to you and keeps coming to you. You've known that God is all-powerful. You know that he's perfectly right and just and must punish sin, your sin. And this punishment was over your head every day of your life and every moment that he did not destroy you was his kind patience towards you. Um, How did you have peace back in those days? Um, We didn't, right? (laughs) There there can't be peace without without, um, having our sins reconciled for God. But remember that we have loved, trusted, committed to him, um, turned our life to him. And that instead of Jesus um, being being, being disgusted by our sins and telling us, and making us go to hell for what we've done, which we deserve. Um, Instead, he took that bullet for you on the day when they murdered him on the cross. He took your electric chair, your doomsday, all his goodness and readiness and willingness 
was given to you. You call that we call this the uh, double substitution. All of your sin was taken on Him when He died, and all of His goodness was imparted to you. So you're treated the way that He should have been treated and rewarded, and He was treated the way that you should have been treated and rewarded. Um, the burden of sin's punishment was taken off you and placed on Him. The controlling power of sin that we were under is removed by trusting that Jesus came back to life. So if you get, you get that, the, the power that brought Jesus back to life, you have within you, right? For victory over sin. And being afraid of dying can't hold you paralyzed anymore. So if you go to bed or you daily or weekly or monthly, think about dying and you're so afraid of that. I remember when I, when I first wrote this sermon, I actually preached it a few years ago. It was during right, right after the pandemic. And so that was a lot more real with like the fear of death. At the time, my father-in-law was actually in the hospital with, with COVID. Um, and the fear of death was a lot more on our minds. Um, and that was something that just stuck with me is like, if we have peace with God, then you know, we don't have to be paralyzed by that fear of death. Because when you die, you go to be with someone who is more excited to be with you than anyone you've ever met on earth. This is what makes us ready for death. We have this peace and we know that when we die, it's when God is done with us on earth and he can't wait any longer to meet us and see us and be with us. Like John Patton said, we are immortal until God is done with us. This is a quote from John Patton. My heart rose up from the, uh, in which John Patton was a missionary to like a cannibalistic tribe. Um, and uh, he, he said, my heart rose up to the Lord Jesus. I saw him watching all the scene. My peace came back to me like a wave from God. I realized that I was immortal till my master's work with me was done. The assurance came to me as if a voice out of heaven had spoken that not a musket would be fired to wound us, not a club prevail to strike us, not a spear leave the hand in which it was held vibrating to be thrown, not an arrow leave the bow or a killing stone the fingers without the permission of Jesus Christ who is all power in heaven and on earth. He rules all nature, animate and inanimate, and restrains even the savage of the South Seas. So do you have the readiness of Denisa, the 16-year-old girl, or Abraham, or Jesus, um, the readiness that Jesus had in his life? He gives to you. It's, it's, it's something he gives to you. And so when the time comes... Trust in them, him that that readiness will be there. Um, do you have that? Or are you like most of the people around, like most Christians that you know, who don't put on these shoes of readiness? Because I'll just say, speaking to people out and about, nine out of ten people who claim to be Christians probably really can't even tell you what the gospel is. And I know that because I'll ask them, um, do you know what the gospel is? And they won't be able to know what to tell me. And a lot of times people are saved, but they just don't know how to articulate it. So that's one thing. But a lot of times it's, it's no knowledge of the gospel. Um, and even less than that are people who know how to articulate it or get excited about it. Even less than that are people who share it with others. But then the church often turns around and speaks peace to unsaved people uh, where there is no peace. Um, most churches, I would say, don't clarify the gospel and don't preach it and often let people into membership who are not even believers. Um, and so, church, we should know the gospel. We should love it, preach it, tell it to ourselves, be able to articulate it, um, and, and, and be ready because of the, this peace that we have. Um, and I, I want to share what I, I believe is the majority status of the people who call themselves Christians before COVID hit. Um, fairly little knowledge of the gospel and less people than that who give a flip about it and less than that who wanted to tell others about it. Um, and I think this is fair. I don't, and maybe it sounds hard, but I think it's fair. And I, I would rather say this than not bring it up because we need to hear this. Um, I'm not being hard on this. It's more gracious to speak up about these things than to shut up about them and speak peace when there is no peace for people. Um, and so I think before the pandemic, there's been little knowledge of the gospel and very little gospel evangelism. Um, I believe that during COVID, 
when this was going on. And shortly after, I feel like a word that was on my mind a lot for what, where people were, where, where a lot in the church had been, is the word glad um, shortly after COVID because now we're kind of glad that we can stay home and not feel that guilt of sharing with others. There's an excuse. Have you ever felt that when you're like, man, I feel like maybe I should share with this person. And then they turn, you're like, oh, I'm kind of glad they, they walk the other way because I don't have to engage in that. And that's not really the mindset at all that we should have. We should have the mindset of like, I'm going to pursue them. I love them. I want, I want to share, not I'm obligated. Um, but isn't that where a lot of people have been, and maybe you have been, as we were either at that time, um, people were glad because the COVID quarantine was like a numbing shot on our guilt for not sharing. We were either too scared of spreading the virus at that time, that we didn't spread the gospel, or we were just glad to be home and not feel like we had to share because maybe the Lord ordained it that way, right? And that's certainly a lie and spiritual warfare that we were under at that time. A lie from Satan. Um, and then months and months in our culture happened of junk where lots of unfriendly Christian fire about race or um, whatever cultural topics were coming up at that time, lots of stuff mostly on social media um, that happened amongst Christians and where we should be, have been building each other up and being family instead of dragging each other down. Um, this kind of stuff was happening. Um, and I was talking to some of you guys know Matt Fowler, I was talking to him about like, well, you know, where people are at maybe now, like we had the, this numbing shot during COVID of like, I don't have to share because of the quarantine or I'm afraid or whatever. And then like, well, where are people at now? And his word, and I, I agree with him. He was like, he feels like a lot of people are kind of in a state of atrophy right now, like unexercised atrophy. Like we've, we kind of like pulled back, and then now we're in this place where we're not, we're not in, the, in, the, in the routine and practice of whatever it may be, but I think especially regarding the evangelism. And, um, so I think that's sort of the post-COVID syndrome of the church right now is, is somewhat of an atrophy. Um, and I don't mean death, so don't hear me wrong. Like, uh, I just mean unexercised muscle atrophy or weakness. We've gotten thrown off during COVID. So now we've seen people just not going back to church, right? That's one thing we've seen is just a lack, just all these people that are just not going back. And I would say that measuring stick is the lowest form of measuring stick of people going back to church of whether or not the church, of where you're at. Um, so don't, you know, don't feel like when you haven't worked, don't you feel like when you haven't worked out for a while that it gets easier and, 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 and you know, you may spend six months building and, and working out and then it takes two, three weeks and you're back to kind of square one on some things. And it takes months to build mis, uh, muscle and strength, but just a few weeks off and you revert, you atrophy, you mission drift. So I would just ask you the question, um, are you mission drifted? question to ask yourself, am I mission drifted? Did you drift off of what you were on? You may train and study and be filled with your first love and share. Then COVID throws you off and has you at home um, doing certain things you feel are important. But I, I can recall one time where a friend of mine who was a, a co-leader, I love this guy to death. He's a faithful friend. But at this time, he was, he, he, he didn't, he didn't come to, he was my co-leader in a small group. He didn't come to small group um, because of that night, because he had to be home by washing his socks was his response to me. Um, and these, these types of things are like, maybe, maybe that's where you're at now is like, these, this is where your priority is at. Um, and so I would, I would just ask you, like, have you mission drifted? Um, because of stewardship or whatever it may be. And I would say, you know, do the first works of Ephesus, right? Um, this is what God has called us to, um, or he may remove your lampstand. Um, and I, guys, I, I want to share this. Like, I don't know what it was a few months ago. I was at a place where I've been regularly sharing in clinic uh, with people, and I got to a place where I 
I kind of stopped sharing. I don't really know why. Just kind of like a few months of like not sharing anything with people. Um, and and I, I, I could feel that sort of an obligation, like a guilt. Um, and, you know, I got to praying about this and I was like, what's going to turn the corner for me? You know, and, and just I, I did spend more time in prayer. And, and what I did was one day in clinic, I just had a, a young guy, a young dad and this young boy. And I was like, hey, guys, it was like a couple, couple weeks ago. I was like, have y'all, have anyone ever told you what the true meaning of Christmas is all about and why Jesus came? And like, can I share that with y'all? And the dad was like, uh, I'm okay. Like, I, you don't have to tell me. But his seven-year-old son was there. He's like, buddy, do you want to hear? And the son was like, uh, it was like every seven-year-old's going to be. And I was like, well, let me just tell you then. Like, there's a small window. The dad didn't say no. And so I just shared some stuff. I don't know how they took that. Um, but for me, that just small movement um, has helped to spur me back into some some motions of doing, um, you know, doing more in clinic and being more intentional. Um, and so kind of ask you just kind of where you're at. Um, I would also say a lot of times you maybe you feel like you should never obey out of obligation. And I would say maybe that's not necessarily always right. Um, because a lot of times if you sit around and wait for your heart to feel full enough to share, then I promise like you probably won't ever get to that place. Um, a lot of times your heart comes along in the time as you're actually um, in, in obedience. And so if we always waited till we felt like obeying uh, or felt like moving into something new, um, then, you know, I, I don't think we probably would ever. Um, that's often just our excuse. So my question for you is, are you in atrophy right now? Are you in post-COVID church atrophy where your rest and your Sabbath has turned into something you aren't proud of. Remember, Denisa, you fool, you took a moment's ease for an eternity of misery. So I'd ask kind of where you, where, where are you at? Are you battling in prayer and telling the gospel to yourself over and over and others over and over? And I would say, don't let fear and the pandemic and post-COVID out-of-season circumstances snuff out your readiness. If you aren't ready, then don't speak peace to yourself when there is no peace. Speak war at yourself, right? Um, and, and grieve that for a minute and get up and repent and take up the full armor, armor of God. Um, in closing, guys, I want to I emphasize kind of why I've, I've, I've talked so much about doing work and why I've emphasized evangelism so much. I started out saying this passage wasn't about, about evangelism, and I spent most of the time talking about it. Um, so listen to the passage. There is strong talk right at you and right at me to put on these shoes. To put on these shoes. If you're in Christ, look at the verse there. The gospel of peace was a gift to you. But then there is also our responsibility of putting on what we must be about. This is the Christian life. We've been given the pure robes of grace, and we are to fight to wear the robes daily and to keep them unstained from the world. And listen, this is not against eternal security, but it's part of eternal security. So do the work. Put on these shoes of gospel readiness. When you get slack, if you're in that place, pray for strength to take them up again. God will give you that request. Secondly, um, why I've, I've emphasized evangelism a lot I would say mostly because that's where Paul ends this passage. If you look down at the end of this uh, Armor of God passage, he ends it with prayer and evangelism. So I want to be in line with Paul. He, he, he says to the Ephesus church, pray for me that I would be bold um, and speak the gospel as I ought to speak. Um, and So he's asking for prayer that he would even be doing that more. Um, I want to be in line with Paul, but I also emphasize it because I don't see a whole lot of evangelism in the church at large, we live in the Bible Belt, and I would just ask you, who came up to you last week and told you the gospel, or the week before, or the week before? Not, we're in the Bible Belt, and that's not happening a lot. So I'm not saying it's obsolete and there's no evangelism. Um, I'm not saying you're not getting the gospel out. The sermon, most of it actually wrote years, a couple of years ago. The Lord knows your heart and where you're at, and, and you know that as well. I'm not saying... 
Uh, but what I am saying is, in general, we have been given a great commission, um, and I fear that we aren't ready to be obedient always with this. Um, it's probably the hardest thing for everyone here to wrap their head around doing is sharing their faith. Whether it's our ignorance of how to clarify or when or in what way, um, the cares of the world, the fears of sounding stupid or cheesy, the fear of man, the fear of, you know, fill in the blank. Maybe your biggest fear, and this is, <laughs> this is a real one, um, maybe your biggest fear is that you'll find out how shallow your faith really is when you try to share it with somebody. Because sometimes they come at you with responses that you don't know how to deal with. And man, that's just a chance to grow in your own faith when that happens. Um, whatever it may be, my prayer and hope is that we will be ready for all that will come, including being equipped and ready to share the message that we believe is our life's purpose. And I would just say, you know, can you say with Paul, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, Romans 1.16. And, you know, he wouldn't have said that if there was no possibility that anyone ever got ashamed to share the gospel or that he... You know, I imagine that he had a tendency or a temptation at least one point in his life to have that feeling of being ashamed. Otherwise, he wouldn't have coined that verse. If you're actively telling the gospel to people, share these stories to your church family. Uh, we need to hear these stories. If you're ashamed of the gospel or if you aren't equipped to tell it, like you don't know how or when or where, um, find someone to talk to about that. Pray to God about that. Um, I hope that you will discuss this general readiness, whatever, if there's been some things on your mind of like, man, I need to take up this in the next year. I need to move in this direction um, in any topic. Um, consider that and pray through that. Um, also just considering where you're at and talking to someone about your level of interest and being mobile with your faith um, and what humble steps you need to, to do to, take, to, to get ready to share that. Um, so let's, let's pray, um, and then Brad's going to lead us in song, and then we'll do the Lord's uh, Supper after that. But um, let's, let's go to God in prayer.